Welcome to the Obsession Digression, a podcast that explores all of the cultural things that obsess us. I'm Sam Benarchik. And I'm Katie Walker. So, how's your week going, Katie? It's going great. How's yours? That sounded like so So fake. fake. And how was your week going? I've had way too much coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, how I asked sounded fake. No, No, my response is We're both frauds. No, I'm I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. I just ate um a bunch of um those Stacy's pita chips in my car outside of your house. Wait, what? (laughs) You didn't come inside? They were delicious. Um, it's the cinnamon kind, oh, which right. to me is just like a bag full of giant cinnamon toast crunch pieces. Yeah, so. I have not eaten today, which is horrible. Oh, um, I should have saved you some. Uh, no, it's okay. But I really hope that like my stomach growls so loudly that we actually pick it up on the, the mm-hmm. audio where it's like... <laughs> this is like a reclamation project after just years of sitting in like graduate seminars and your stomach growls and it's really embarrassing. Yes. Yeah, well, I've decided to own it. Like, I used to be like, oh my gosh, my stomach is growling and freak out. But now, whenever my stomach growls in one of those situations, I, like, look around and I'm, like, giving the thumbs up. You know, (laughs) like, yeah, I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. But what's worse are, like, the intestinal growls. It's like... People oh. are going to know I have to fart. Then... <laughs> it has like a little bubbly noise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just it's became 13 year olds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so you have your pita chips. Life is good. Yeah, you have nothing. I have nothing. How was your trip to Chicago? It was really good. I um, saw that giant ass bean thing or whatever. <laughs> Cloud game. You, you saw yourself in the bean? I saw myself in the mm-hmm. bean. Yeah, which was kind of disorienting. Yeah, sure. Um, and let's see, what else? How old is the bean? Do you know? I have no idea. I did like, not read any sort of plaque. If you told me it was only like 30 years old, I'd believe you. If you said it was hundreds of years old, I'd probably <laughs> believe you too. <laughs> I don't think it's that. Maybe they don't have that sort of reflective material <laughs> yeah. in like Benjamin Franklin's day, but... <laughs> Benjamin Franklin's just I know, like, this is what we need all over the place. Is a giant ass bean <laughs> and the turkey as the, the U.S. bird. Wait, how did you know that? Were you the one who told me this? What? I just turkey? read that somewhere. Oh, I think it's just like a random fact that I've had stored away that oh. he wanted the turkey as the national bird. That's funny. I just learned that this week. Oh, really? I okay. don't know. I can't remember where I learned it, though. That's weird. Yeah. The thing is, I kind of am on the Franklin side because have you ever interacted with a turkey? Um. Yeah, they're not friendly. Yeah, they're like the worst creatures yeah. <laughs> they're really fierce they're mean um they used to get on ryan's truck and scratch it all up and he would get yeah, super right. pissed Wait, but why would you want that to be emblematic of the united states um well <laughs> it just feels more oh you're just saying it feels right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would make thanksgiving like a much more like patriotically fraught day though <laughs> i'd still be okay just slaughtering with our own <laughs> I'd be totally fine with it. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so today's episode is titled Disney Lunch. Whoop, whoop. And so why is it titled Disney Lunch, Sam? Well, because we're nearing the end of our lunch season, which is crazy. It's just today and next week. Yeah, I know. Um, But we started off titling our first episode Baby Lunch. And then we followed Lynch into Hollywood and then into all of his various rabbit holes. Right. And now we have... All of his ladies, too. Yeah. All of his women. Yeah. And now we've got the Disney collaboration. Yeah, which is so weird. It's It was super disorienting just having that Disney castle open up the yes! film. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he... Um, 
you know how they scope out audiences when they're like screening yeah, these yeah. movies, etc. How do um, they scope out those audiences? I have no idea. I want to okay. be part of that crowd though that gets like my impressions recorded. Right, because my my understanding for a long time was that it was completely randomized that you could just suddenly go to a movie and they'd be like, "Hey, do you want to see this other movie?" Right. But I think it's more scientific than that. I guess I have no. Yeah, we need to we need to research this. But apparently, this lady was standing in line for the straight story, um, and she was overheard. By you know, movie professional person involved with this production, um, and she was like, "Isn't it crazy that there are two directors named David Lynch? Because <laughs> it's so yeah. weird that he's doing this really lighthearted, just you know, delightful film." Yeah, I mean, my guess, and you'll get more into this, and I've sort of confirmed this, so it's not really a guess anymore. But when I was watching it, I thought this has to be more. Mary Sweeney's project than it is right. David Lynch's because it just well she wrote it and, yeah and she um, sought it out right right yeah. yeah she did all of the research for it and so she kind of just handed for the first time really this neat package for Lynch mm-hmm. to just direct right um, though he did you know of course like did music and stuff too with Badalamenti so Badalamenti I know <laughs> it's interesting though so I mean we'll get into all of this later but when you read a lot of the reviews mm-hmm. the other David Lynch film that's always invoked is elephant man yeah right and it's, it's fitting right because they're two atypical sort of traditional hollywood films that aren't very lynchian but are very conventional yeah i can see that but at the same time just on my own i would never have come to that comparison i would never have grouped oh them yeah together. you have to start with david lynch for yeah. those two things to pair together well right like i would never have said like oh if i'm going to talk about the straight story with another movie it would be the elephant man yeah i would pair it with Eraserhead actually just for oh. the pacing oh, and yeah. the focus on one man one man and this like <laughs> land like vastly different landscapes right but again this like really intimate look at the just details of a landscape i guess so yeah that's my that's my take on it yeah that's fair so why don't we dive in i'm gonna talk first about just filling in a little bit more background about david lynch and mark frost's collaborations mm-hmm. and their partnership that goes on for a number of years and then you will tell us more about the production the, uh, and how this came about. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we are moving. I'm sure listeners will know this, that we're moving from Firewalk With Me in 1992 all the way to The Straight Story in 1999. So we're jumping over a number of David Lynch's other projects. We don't have time this season to fill in all these gaps thoroughly, but I did want to touch on them and talk specifically about one thread, and that's Lynch's partnership with television writer and producer Mark Frost. So... Lynch and Frost's most famous and fruitful partnership is hands down Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. Nothing else they developed came anywhere near as close to that show's success. However, their collaborative work neither began nor ended there. So Lynch and Frost first meet after the release and success of Blue Velvet. Lynch was looking for a follow-up project and thought that adapting Anthony Summers' Marilyn Monroe biography titled Goddess, The Secret Lives of Marilyn Monroe might be the perfect follow-up project. And did you notice the Twin Peaks reference to uh, Marilyn Monroe with Dale Cooper where he's like, two things still bother me, Diane, where he's talking in the (laughs) recorder. You have to remind me. Um, He's like, two things still bother me. Who really shot JFK and what went on between him and Marilyn Monroe? Yeah. Um, so I think I... You yeah, know, this keep is... that in mind. Oh, this like yeah. reference? Okay. Yeah, because um, 
he contacts the producer because he's saying, I want to direct this movie. And he's told by the producer that there's, quote, a young man who desperately wants to write this. Would you want to meet him and maybe work together? This man is Mark Frost. So Frost is, at this point, a television writer. He was writing at the age of 20 for the $6 million man. That's one of his oh, earliest gigs. Wow. Yeah. And then he, He's a hot shot. <laughs> yeah. And at this time, he had recently earned an Emmy nomination for writing on Hill Street Blues. Okay. Um, uh, in other words, he's right at the place where TV writers, if they're going to break out, do break out. So Lynch and Frost hit it off well enough, and they set to work on writing the screenplay. Their approach intermixes, it's strange, planned film scenes and documentary footage. And from what I could find, it sounds like the project got messy very quickly. Oh, no. Why? <laughs> well, just even that, where they're like, oh, we're going to like film this biopic, but it's also going to be interspersed with documentary footage. Um and then we get this really interesting summation sort of of this project in an interview David Lynch gives to Rolling Stone. He says, mm -hmm. the more we went along, the more it was sort of like UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> what does that we'll mean, get there. Lynch? We'll get there. Okay, yeah. okay this is going to be yeah, I know. Good. I did the same thing when I read it. Uh, you're fascinated by them, but you can't really prove they exist. Same thing with Marilyn Monroe and the Kennedys and all this. I can't figure out even now what's real and what's a story. Mm. So messiness okay. aside, yeah, right. It's a little sense. labored, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the comparison is <laughs> yeah. pretty lame ass. <laughs> Let's be real. But then again, Lynch is not known for his yeah, really like uh, imagination. Yeah, and the final nail in the coffin of this screenplay comes when Frost and Lynch decide to. This is a very cryptic quote. Uh, put in the script who we thought did her in. What? <laughs> yeah. So they and like passed. Or I think who or they like thought killed, killed Marilyn Monroe. Oh, oh I <laughs> yeah. see. I was like fiercely Googling to find more about this and I couldn't. Wait, um, wait, so like somebody... They what? are surmising, I guess, that someone is responsible for her death. Oh. And once the studio read this, they wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, so they pulled funding and support. <laughs> A bunch of bullshit right there. <laughs> so the biopic fails, but... Like you said, it's hard not to see threads of Lynch and Frost's fascination with Marilyn Monroe in Twin Peaks. Yeah. So consider how it's a show centered on another sort of baby-voiced blonde who, underneath the mask of perfection, wrestles with numerous demons. True. And consider, too, how troubled Lynch was by the messiness of piecing together the past and determining who a person really was. And like, like this is said, the question of Twin Peaks. Yeah, exactly. And like we said with Wild at Heart, he kept telling Laura Dern to yeah, do more Monroe, right? So it's, yeah, mm -hmm. this is kind of a running thread with him is this fascination yeah. with this figure. And I read that and I thought, oh, that's interesting. But the more I sat with it, the more I thought, oh, this is sort of paradigm shifting to think about the way in which like Marilyn Monroe is sort of haunting or determining these later films. Yeah, sure. Especially that he becomes so fascinated with like blondes specifically mm -hmm. in a sort of Hitch Hitchcockian way, I guess. Yeah, but well, in all these movies. A blonde and brunette pair, kind of. Oh yeah, that's right. Because like Mulholland Drive, um, Donna and Laura, right? Like there's always Sandy this, and Dorothy. Uh, in Lost Highway, when Patricia Arquette's character yeah, right. is both a blonde yeah. and brunette, I think there's this weird. Yeah, but you're right. There's this like sexy, racy, blonde figure mm -hmm. typically, and then like this more kind of down to earth brunette. Yeah. Just true of true of life, man. Blondes <laughs> are more fun. <laughs> Where do you stand as a ginger? <laughs> Gingers are more neurotic. <laughs> Fun fact, gingers 
are more susceptible to pain because we have receptive genes. It's a true fact. So whenever oh. I whine about getting a shot, I'm justified <laughs> because I you actually, my what? body feels it more. So this is why I don't have children. <laughs> I mean, there are many good, as we've learned in this podcast alone, there are many good reasons to not have <laughs> exactly. kids. Number one, Katie's a ginger. Therefore, yep. just, I'm not going to inflict that, um, on society anymore mm -hmm. any more genders no well, and just number two kids are the worst <laughs> number three eventually they'll turn into old people who are who also are the worst the worst except in the straight story where i oh actually, yeah they were all just sort of charming I oh guess. yeah well i'm gonna totally retract everything that i've said about old people today so <laughs> <laughs> i have many opinions about the movie and i'm waiting to share them until we start <laughs> discussing it explicitly so i'm sorry i derailed no you're fine so mark frost and lynch yeah yeah um, Throw this in the trash. This yeah. is a trash movie now. It's This is a trash movie now. <laughs> <laughs> Between the failed Marilyn Monroe biopic... Biopic? Pause. <laughs> yeah. no, Bi no, the bionic Marilyn Monroe movie. <laughs> Thank you very much. Someone kills her, and then she comes back as part Marilyn Monroe, part cyborg, yes. fights crime. Yes. Um, <laughs> So between that and Twin Peaks, Lynch and Frost try their hand at two other projects. The first is just an aborted treatment called The Lemurians. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's about explorer Jacques Cousteau discovering the lost island of Lemuria. Okay. It's just very difficult for me to say. That, yeah. And accidentally waking up the spirits of those who were lost when the island sunk. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then I found one quote from Mark Frost. He was like, we didn't really ever think we were going to bring to script. It just made us laugh. So, <laughs> I love okay. that. I love that. That's yeah. Like, he has this description this about yeah. They 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 don't really become friends, but they really like working together because they just sit in a room. David Lynch apparently doesn't like typing, and Mark mm -hmm. Frost does, so he sort of transcribes all their ideas. And he said they just work on trying to make each other laugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of like what we do. I mean, really, who knows if this will make. Right. Anyone else laugh. If, if we're the Mark Frost and David Lynch of podcasting. Oh, you're the David Lynch. I'm the David yeah. Yes. I was like really hoping you would say that, but I was a little bit like, well, maybe I'm Mark Frost. I'm sorry, you're Mark Frost. No, That's you're okay. not. I think we're both Lynching in, in certain I mean, ways. Mark Frost, he's a go-getter. Yeah, he's, he's successful and... Yeah. Um, probably a lot more responsible than David Lynch in terms of life choices. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Okay. So, Lemurians doesn't go anywhere, so their second project is a comedy called One Saliva Bubble. Ew. If you're wondering, it's a very literal title. I knew you were going to say ew. So the comedy concerns the, quote, chain reaction of chaos and absurdity sparked by a bubble of saliva, Ew. which shorts it shorts out a top-secret military satellite and ultimately causes many residents of a town to swap identities. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, fun fact, this was originally going to be a feature film funded by Dino De Laurentiis and starring <laughs> Steve Martin and Martin Short. What? Yes. <laughs> However, De Laurentiis went bankrupt during location scouting, and once they learned that any continued development of this project, even on TV, would force the creators to pay De Laurentiis a cut of the profits, oh, everyone just abandoned the project. That's lame how that works I out. I know. Yeah. And as we know, Dino went back to selling pasta. Oh. JK. That's not true. <laughs> With his grandfather's spaghetti. <laughs> so now we'll jump ahead past Twin Peaks. We've already talked about it. Um, and look at one of the final Lynch Frost collaborations. It's a sitcom called On the Air. 
Mm. It doesn't sound remotely Lynchian. It's about a broadcast television production station in New York in 1957. Okay. <laughs> and follows a work rivalry between a washed up but still successful TV star named Lester Guy and a young possible breakout supporting actress named Betty Hudson. Okay. So This kind of sounds like 30 Rock in a way. Uh, yeah, it's like somewhere between, yeah, it's like 30 Rock and, um, oh, what's the, oh, Larry Sanders show. Oh, um. It's called The Larry Sanders Show. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me a minute. Title will come to me. <laughs> right when you said that, I was like, I'm going to pretend like I know. Oh. And then I had to backtrack. Yeah. This is what I always do, Sam. I always, like, feign comprehension, get myself into a like a pigeonhole, and then mm-hmm. I can't back out. So can I describe that? I, I hate people who describe dreams, but this dream uh, yeah, okay. makes sense. This because... is the one time you can talk about a dream on this podcast. Okay, this is my one my one chip for this. So um, this all started because you and I dressed up as Rosemary and Rosemary's Baby a few years ago for Halloween. We were robbed of um, first place. That's that. fine. We don't need to go into that now. We're so mad. But we, we just if you're listening, you know there. who you are. We're we have mad. not forgotten. We are still mad. Um, but anyways, so we, in the middle of the night, decided to change, trade costumes. <laughs> yes. Which was a stupid idea. But we, what we did was we went into the bathroom, and one of us stood in the bathtub behind the shower curtain, yeah. and the other one was, like, in the normal bathtub, or bathroom, um, and we were trading clothes and throwing them over the curtain. Mm-hmm. And then the curtain just, like fell and like the rod itself fell and it completely broke and um you were like oh it's like it happened one night (laughs) uh which is you know a very famous film and i like laughed and i was like haha yeah it is i had not seen the film (laughs) i had no idea what you were talking about and then like two years later we were watching the movie together and you like caught me in this lie you were like no way you said you had seen it Well, I was like, why'd you laugh when I made that joke then? <laughs> and you're like, like, I don't know. I just, like, felt awkward. <laughs> like, had to laugh. Um, so anyway... It was a compromising situation. I think laughter was just, like, an agreeable reaction then. True, but I, like, I had this con for, like, two years, dude, where I just, like, was so convinced... So close, and you almost you. got away with it. I almost did, but we had to watch it together. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, that's a huge, like, lead-in to then a dream I had, like, a few nights ago <laughs> where I, like, we were in an orchestra... And this makes no sense, but I apparently played the saxophone in the orchestra. So it's like a fancy orchestra, but I'm With a saxophone sax. player. Yeah. <laughs> but you are like a, a solid musician. You're very established. You're playing like the clarinet or something. Okay. Um, and I have... I played the trumpet in real life, FYI. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, that would have been more appropriate, but I gave you a clarinet. <laughs> and I apparently had lied to you and you had gotten me into this orchestra. Oh, about knowing how to play the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> like this solo moment and I looked over at you and I was like I can't oh, play this <laughs> so it's this anxiety just like filtering through okay. again and again I, those dreams are, are rough I <laughs> will stay with my older sister in the summers when I want to go back to New Jersey mm-hmm. 
And she watches a lot of like cooking shows and cooking oh, competition yeah. shows. And so we'll watch them when we eat dinner. Mm-hmm. And I would have like a series of stress dreams. This is when I was reading for exams too. So it was totally displaced. A lot of factors That I was combined. suddenly found myself on one of those cooking competition shows. <laughs> and <laughs> this, I'm not a cook at all. And I made peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> and I was so nervous because they're like coming down the row and judging. And I was like, oh my God, why did I only make peanut butter and jelly? I love this. <laughs> It's kind uh, of like your rollerblading story all mm-hmm, over again in a yeah. weird way. So, like I did not prepare. <laughs> as you can see, Katie and Sam have like our different like points of anxiety. Mine mm-hmm. is lying. Sam, yours is like performance based. Yeah, a lot of performance. Sort of. I don't like performing. I like being able to plan ahead and make sure everything's right. And that sort of like extemporaneous action uh-huh. gives me anxiety. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. I'm more of the improv type but mm-hmm. you know that's yeah because i can't it's because you're anything. a david lynch and i'm a mark frost <laughs> as we've established yeah. okay and so david lynch and mark frost on the air so a funny thing happens during the production of on the air when lynch and frost are given the green light by abc in 1990 to develop the series wild at heart has just won palm d'Or, and twin peaks is a cultural phenomenon and but like ABC is also, they also tanked Twin Peaks, right? Like, they're, like, Lynch doesn't have a great relationship with ABC. Well, so I'm getting there. Oh, Actually, sorry. it's the next sentence. Sorry. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> you're like, um, excuse me. Right, let me find my Lynch facts <laughs> actually, here. Well, actually, um, but by the time the first seven episodes are filmed in 1991, the backlash against Wild at Heart is at its strongest and the ratings for twin Peaks second season have tanked okay so abc ends up halting production and shelving those seven episodes for almost a year these seven episodes don't air until the summer of 1992 to very little fanfare people say they're painfully unfunny oh i've never heard of them or seen them even like so i found some clips on youtube they're uh, not great. Okay. <laughs> we can we can play a short clip right now so you can get a sense of the sort of like tenor and pace. Okay. Dear Betty, God bless you. You saved the show after Lester's unfortunate accident. <laughs> Won't you please be my guest for dinner tonight? I will send the car for you at eight o'clock. Yours truly, Ivan Zablotnik. How charming. <laughs> How charming, isn't that? <laughs> Betty, that's so exciting. Betty, if my uncle wants to kick you out to Denmark, a Morse man has big plans for you. Betty, I hope you can appreciate the smiling hand of fate that has blown good fortune in your direction. In fact, today I would have to consider you the luckiest woman on earth. Where is he sending the car? To your apartment. But I, I live on the seventh floor. The car will be waiting for you outside on the street. Oh, is he giving it to me? No, it's just to take you to dinner. But I don't drive. So, not good. <laughs> um, so, from there, the Lynch-Frost collaborations cooled. Lynch went on to make three more films uh, between then and Straight Story. Right. Um, Hotel Room which is a three-act televised play released on HBO in 1993. Mm -hmm. Premonitions following an evil deed Mm -hmm. in 1996. It's a short film. It's only 50 seconds long. Oh, yeah. And it's part of a 40-director celebration of the 100-year anniversary of the Lumiere Brothers' first screened film. Okay. 
<laughs> and, uh, that's a long description but yeah i was trying know. to like i was like get it on one phrase sam <laughs> and <laughs> don't pause, don't pause. and then in 1966 the feature-length film lost highway mm-hmm. i would say and you can agree or disagree that all of these productions are strictly for lynch diehard fans only if we you know we talked about firewalk with me last week and if that is the film that shows the Lynch sort of mm-hmm. moving away from this brief flirtation he has with like coherent plotting and storylines Lost Highway all of these three films are sort of Lynch at his most abstract and sort of like dream feverish uh-huh. probably since Eraserhead for me fair but then it's it's weird because you can't describe it like he's you know kind of getting progressively more abstract or more narrative based because then like he does Straight Story which is you know oh, yeah. the most narrative based and then does Mulholland Drive, which we'll talk about next week, which is also But I think crazy. you can look at it like like an algorithm or something, like ebbing and flowing. And this is an instance of him moving back towards Fair. abstraction yeah. for these few films. Okay. And you're right, though. Like, and um, Maybe it's a good time to switch over to you talking about Straight Story. Yeah. Yes, a um, very conventional film. Yeah, so it is conventional. It is Disney. It's Disney <laughs> It Lynch. is conventional. <laughs> but, um, of course, there are still Lynchian... Um, motifs and elements that we will talk about in just a moment but um straight story is basically the tale of an older gentleman he's 73 his name's alvin straight um get it straight story who needs to go visit his brother lyle uh, because lyle has suffered a stroke and they have been estranged for quite a while um i think it's like 10 years or something like that um, but he can't drive. Um, his eyes, Alvin's eyesight is bad. Um, he hates buses, apparently, which I agree with. I hate buses. So he decides to rig up a John Deere lawnmower mm-hmm. that goes five miles an hour and drive to see his brother, right, who's in Wisconsin. He's in Lawrence, Iowa, I think. And so the distance between the two is kind of, it's like... A ridiculous amount yeah. to go five miles an hour on. Right? And this is based on a true story, This correct? is based on a true story. And so Lynch has um, described kind of some of the the weirdness because this is really the first film where he, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is representing people are, um, people that knew Alvin or he's, you know, he's actually like talking to people in his research that were around, right? And he's combining like different realistic elements with like some of the stories or some of the encounters that Alvin has are um, fabricated. They're not right. obviously what happened to the original or the real Alvin Strait. Um, but, you know, he's trying to like interweave this in a way. So, so yeah, it's... Or Mary Sweeney is, right? Because you said she was the one who wrote true. the script. Yeah. Or are you saying that he added to it? He Well, Lynch, um, yeah, Mary Sweeney, I guess, is more responsible for it. But Lynch certainly added the... <laughs> Again, I guess it's the pacing issue, right? Like he added Lynch, bad elementary to it. Exactly, we know. Exactly. He added the emotion to it. Also, um, did you find it's sort of analogous to the TV exploding last week mm-hmm. in Firewalk With Me? How we open with this lush, immediately recognizable Battle Elementary score that then morphs into this sort of homey, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. like, guitar picking, sort of, like, strumming. Yeah, it, it does this weird... How do I describe it? Yeah, like you said, it's this um, weird transition. It's startling, I guess, yeah. right? One of my favorite things about the way that this film kind of originates is that Lynch... Um, doesn't meet any of the actors beforehand. He just has, at the time, I mean, this is still 
1998, probably, when he's prepping for this, um, VHSs of different actors, like, sent to him. (laughs) You know, doing, like, a a brief um, thing. Acting thing. I don't know what you would call (laughs) it. Audition. (laughs) Making a sandwich. Audition. Audition's the Mm -hmm. word. Um, And so he doesn't meet anyone, except, like, he obviously knows Sissy Spacek because she's married to Jack Fisk, and they work together on this film, which is interesting. Briefly live down the road from one another. Right. (laughs) Married to Mary Fisk, right? Like, Mm -hmm. for a while. And so, but he doesn't know, like, Richard Farnsworth or, um, you know, some, a few of the others. Like, he obviously knows Everett McGill, who's the tractor um, vendor. Uh, But, yeah, so for the most part, he's just kind of, like, culling these people. And the actors are all kind of originally from, like, Midwestern or they're not Hollywood flashy people, right? Especially Richard Farnsworth. Um, Although I immediately, so I did not know who Richard Farnsworth was by name. I think I've heard the name. It sounded recognizable. Uh-huh. But as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, that's the sheriff from Misery. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what he's like kind of most known for. Can I tell you, I looked him up. He started out his Hollywood career as a horse stuntman. stuntman. Yeah, yeah. He rode the actual chariots in Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments and in Spartacus. Spartacus yeah. yes! <laughs> He was also in Gone with the Wind and a lot of John Wayne movies. Um, He has, I'm not joking at all when I say this, how to even describe, he has such a a quiet dignity about him in his performance that I I find so admirable when I watch him. Well, Lynch has said, like, I can't even visualize this film. I don't know if this film would even have worked without Richard. Like, there's just something about... His, yeah, like you said, his dignity, his calmness, his warm-hearted yeah. face that immediately draws you in. Something sort of like stoic and calm, but wise about wise him. Yeah, man. yeah. And oh man, this is so this, sad. I know. I read this. Oh. I know what you're gonna say. So he, I, for those of you who don't know, he, um, so he, and he had this during production. Sorry, mm-hmm. I just dropped something. Um, he had, um. Was it mar- bone marrow cancer? Is that right? Some sort of cancer. Or prostate cancer. Some really painful cancer. But he was cancer. riddled. Like, it was beyond help. He was terminally ill. And he knew this while filming Straight Story and was in a lot of pain while filming it. Um, so, you know, that um, is really interesting that he just trudged through this, right? Like, he was such a trooper. But then, um, not long after, at his home in, I think... Um, Nevada or uh, New Mexico, somewhere like that, because he's terminally ill, you know, he's already lost his wife many years ago, he's lonely and he's dying, he kills himself, he yeah. shoots himself, so it's a really sad and he, point to his, his story. I read at least, that not only did he not tell anyone in production, but he didn't even tell his own family that he was sick. Oh. Like, no one knew. Yeah. That's so... I or mean, maybe that is, actually, maybe that hmm. is... The sort of like sobering other side of like this picture of like quiet dignity, right? Yeah. That there is a sort of dark side to that too. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I'm. This is a real human being. I don't want to sort of speculate about them, but I don't know. Is there like an element of like pride to that or something of just not wanting to be yeah. a, a weak body in pain or oh, something? Oh yeah, and... I think that's definitely right. And I know a lot of people like that, especially you know people from the south, for example. Yeah. You don't go to doctors and you don't like admit when you're in pain because that's a sign of weakness obviously and Alvin in the story himself does not I mean there's that beautiful kind of 
opening scene after he's fallen, he goes to the doctor and he's like, no surgery. Okay. No walker. I rewound that Love scene that. like five times because <laughs> that actress who played the nurse was terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. She walks into that room as though she has never seen this set before. <laughs> like, is like feeling her way through, like pushing the door open cautiously. Right. And she goes, okay, Mr. Strait, you need to take off all your clothes except your underwear and put this on. And he goes, just bring me the doctor. And then she just stands there with a totally blank face for like 10 seconds yeah and then finally just <laughs> walks out and you know that she was like this is acting you know like okay. i'm i'm living my dreams and it's so bad she's like how we started out this podcast unless you're episode. listening in which case we thought you were wonderful we thought you were great so good uh, so um, please give us a positive review and subscribe so let's before start at the beginning into, yeah um before we start the beginning, oh, okay now, i have this glorious story and this is why I um identify with this film so much so I'm obviously not from the Midwest or anything but there's a lot of like the you know like rural community yeah mentality. you could just say this was Texas I believe you yeah it's you know partially because so I've never been to Texas <laughs> well, <but laughs> I mean you know the like everyone knows each other yeah the the old men meet at the bar you know every day and it's kind of like this routine um so anyways I I identify with that so much but also, so the idea of driving these really slow-moving vehicles around. <laughs> um, okay, so <laughs> my father loves auctions. I think I've told you this before, Sam. He just, like, buys the weirdest, weirdest shit at auctions, right? So his house is like a cabinet of curiosities. Um, it's full of just, like, different antiques and mm -hmm. just really old stuff. Um, but he also buys, like gadgets and vehicles and appliances etc um so when i was in high school obviously i'm trying my only goal in life is to be cool right mm -hmm. like as all of us we just all want to be cool and i presume um, still is yeah <laughs> of course. what else well, are we, are we here on this there. earth for yeah i'm i'm totally cool but my father when i'm like 15 or 16 goes to an auction and he buys those machines that make lines on a football field. Oh, yeah. yeah. So speaking of Disney, it's you called... You mean like the spray paint line? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's, a, it's a, like yeah. a mower yeah. um, thing Those almost cool. that, you, that you ride around and it like right. leaves a trail of chalk. And it's called the Line King. Oh. Uh, so there's our Disney connection. Anyways, my dad would <laughs> jump on his Line King and just like <sighs> go to the grocery store. <laughs> That's was, amazing. You could follow the trail. Follow this trail because there That's would be amazing. these white chalk lines just like zigzagging <laughs> through the neighborhood because he's driving about on his Lion King, and I would be so embarrassed because, like, of course, the next day at school, you know, so I'd be like, I saw I saw Wilbur at the grocery store. <laughs> On his line, King. <laughs> what in the hell? So and, yeah, so it was just oh, it was. That's um, so. This is has, yeah. you have a personal connection to this. Film. Personal connection. I feel has your father forward. crossed state lines. He's this, not okay. crossed state lines. No, but um, thank goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I feel the the anxiety that his daughter Rose in the film has, where she's mm -hmm. like. Dad, number one, you're 73, you know, and she just kind of yeah, goes yeah. off on these different reasons why he should not attempt this massive trek to see his brother Lyle. So, 
close to my heart, straight story. Um, it's it's a good good. Nice. So yeah, let's start with what um, what's going on really? Uh, like what motivates this trip and how we <laughs> how we get there. Well, I have to say too. First, it opens following briefly. Um, Alvin's next door neighbor, Dorothy. Dorothy. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that name choice. I don't know. There's I have nothing to say about it. Oh, just okay. like recycled name. Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant the whole scene. Like you were just like, it opens with Dorothy and then you were just going to like, oh, yeah, let I was. me take it. Oh, do you want to? No, I want, oh. <laughs> I want you and to And Kate is going to come story. up with something either profound and or funny. Um, no, so it's, I was watching it and I wrote, this is like the one of the first notes I wrote <laughs> for the film is, why am I intensely jealous of this woman? <laughs> And because she's just she... on a lounge chair with a pla- a lounge chair with a plate of food, a glass yeah. of something, and a magazine. And all of a sudden, I was like, "That's the, the life. life." Yeah. No, those are Hostess uh, snowballs that she's. I know. Eating. And yeah, those it took me a scene yummy. to piece that together. But I was just, I couldn't even concentrate. I was just like, <laughs> "What am I doing with my life? Like, why am I not just like?" Right. Which I couldn't ever do. I think after five <laughs> seconds of living in the Midwest, I'd... Snooze fest, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but... but it just seems so peaceful and, like, wonderful. True, yeah. Like, in reading a magazine instead of reading literature, it's just like, this is not going to tax you at all, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, no, there's something about her life that just seems so... And she gets to be nosy, too, which is exciting, right? Like but she... I do like that... They made her so stupid, though. When she oh. goes in, she's like, what's the number for 911? That felt like such like, a slapstick that's, joke. That's too easy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you know... I that... feel like that was like a Disney note, too. I, I agree. That was like... Let's just blame Disney for everything we don't like Ugh, about this movie. True. <laughs> Which um... I I feel like now is the time to tell you is everything. <gasps> no! Katie. Wait. What? what? fucking nonsense was this movie that we watched i'm about to slap you are you serious i hated this movie so much damn it sam damn it this I movie thought... made me like furious and or very bored oh i am so mad at you right now okay well uh... we'll lay it out for us what what is it well we can just don't... go through okay and... first of all if there's one thing i hate it's a title pun and as soon as i learned oh. that our protagonist's name was Alvin Strait. I was like, oh, God, this you is not the... are the biggest hypocrite every single episode of our podcast has Right, but that's intentional. But so is this. Not for movies. Not for movies. Oh. Movies are, are funded by millions of dollars. Sorry. We are funded by nothing. <laughs> like, we could do whatever we want. Okay. But if... If All I'm right. paying money to go to a movie theater, I want to be treated with more respect than I do when I listen to a free podcast. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fine. I'll concede. I'll concede that point. But mm-hmm. what? Uh, what else? I mean, I have many things. I think they're going to come up as we go. But we can what talk about things I like. Because it's the. <laughs> I'm so like, <laughs> what makes you happy? Um, <laughs> you hate short films, mm-hmm. and and so this film is notoriously drawn out and pretty slow. What what is it, Sam? Do you just want the Terminator? Is that it? It's like, so funny. It has this to is be like this, really like, like, yeah. This is probably pathological. That I feel like 
in conversation and when people ask my opinions on things, I dislike most things. <laughs> but I also think of myself as like a happy person who enjoys life. So those seem to be in, like incommensurate, but yeah. I'm not sure what to, how to reconcile this. I can't figure you out, dude, because mm. I thought going into this, um, we were texting about this last week and I was like, yay, like the straight story. I think Sam's going to dig it. It's not Dune. It's not like mm-hmm. this kind of convoluted, really, you know, big cast um, type of narrative, so maybe Sam will just, like, enjoy it for its simplicity. But no, but it was the out... wrong kind of... It was it, it was the wrong kind of simplicity, or, something, or it wasn't true simplicity. Like, we can flush this out as we go, but I thought that I made this defense during Blue Velvet that there was an, an earnestness and a respect with which he was, by and large, treating the sort of like simple townsfolk uh-huh. whereas here i saw that being like routinely undercut in ways that i didn't like oh okay so and on top about... of that i think that there was this i mean i could use the word offensive i'm not offended by it i just think it was like unsatisfying and disappointing but this sort of confusion or conflation of what did you, you said simplicity right uh-huh. of like the sort of simple rural life with just like utter foolishness and like this is a stupid thing to do like categorically to ride a fucking john deere across <laughs> states and there this movie it's, is it's peppered with scenes in which someone's like why would you ever do that and then he's like well for this reason this reason and this reason and they go fair enough and i was like no there are like 17 other ways he could have done this but it does it's not. so stupid but it is Sam, but Sam, and then he's but like Sam. all right wait, wait. The, the whole point, right? <laughs> yeah. There's this line where he says, like, this guy's like, I'll drive you the rest of the way. And he's like, well, you're a very kind man yeah. talking to a very stubborn man. Yeah. The whole point is that his brother Lyle is very stubborn, too. They have 10 years of this just, like, amassed anger at each other. There is... In this this logic, there's no way to make up for that, right? Because there's no explicit apology. The trip itself is the apology. The trip itself is the arduousness of the journey is what makes up for these 10 years of um, estrangement. And so you think it was fitting for him to risk getting there after his brother had died? Because, spoiler, that's the fake yeah. out at the end, is that he's there too late. So that was an actual, like, gamble that he was willing to take. Right. He was willing to just miss because seeing his brother before he died, so... That would be better than... What? Than ha- taking the easy way out and just being like, yo, so I got So you and Ryan are two states apart. Yeah. And he has a, a major stroke. You're also very old at this point. Yeah. He's on death's door. Mm-hmm. You're saying... I'm not going to take a bus, not going to, like, get an Uber, I'm not going to fly. If I'm he gonna was ra- mad at me, and... I'm going to get my jazzy and just, like, push that joystick forward and see how long it takes to get there. Well, let's be real. I would take a Segway. I would totally Segway <laughs> it up down the highway. But, okay, yeah, like, I don't know. There's something I get about this logic that it's, like, the arduousness of the task itself is what then speaks volumes that is never you can't actually say right like there's something about like i went through this pain and this discomfort for you in a way on my own i did this on my own i didn't have help i'm not this feeble helpless old man i'm a strong character who can 
Sorry, I'm like just like... Yeah, there's so many hand motions. <laughs> I, I do like this weird like rocking motion now. I don't know why. Um, but anyways... Yeah, what you're saying is compelling to me. But when I watch it on film, it is so stupid. It. And I also feel like it is legitimately... And I feel I'm afraid I'm going too far because I know this is a beloved film to everyone but me, but it feels legitimately insulting. Like there's a way in which we are supposed to just like sort of condescend to a sort of Midwestern gentleman to be like, mm. yep, he's got to do something in his stupid own way, but we have to respect that because it's, it's the salt of the earth. And Right. See, this is my problem with like 99% of depictions of people from you're rural the 1%? communities. No, no, not at you're, all. You're the rural 1%. <laughs> no. I mean, well, in some respects, but, um, but like there is impossible, I think, to avoid that sentiment, um, in any depiction of people from like the Midwest or the South or just from like these, you know, small mm-hmm. communities. Um, case in point is S town, right? Which recently came out. Yeah. Which I've got, I, I had an annoyed reactions to. I did too, because of the way that you can't quite, yeah, you can't r- erase those assumptions that get kind of amalgamated onto accents well, and, and onto just behaviors like, that. Ups- it was like a very sad to me way in which, what's the guy's name again? I only listened to the John first B. episode, so I might, I reserve the right to change my opinion, but John B. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that he sort of like internalized his own self-hatred of like his self or his origins and yeah. in ways that I wish, I don't know, that he had some community there that he could right. share in some sort of joy or happiness with and like alleviate that. Yeah. But my bigger problem with S-Town, I know we're getting away from the movie, so I'll make this fast, is that it's yet another NPR like investigative production mm-hmm. that is trying to market itself as a murder mystery when it's not oh, or a no. mystery yeah you know because serial season one serial season two a number of other like uh this american life episodes yeah now s-town like they don't need their mystery trappings like they're just good <laughs> stories so yeah. stop stop insulting us by being like we know you need some sort of pulpy sensational just, hook yeah yeah like just trust in. us to listen yeah no i i totally agree with that um, but back to... Yeah. Also, another point I guess I would say that I couldn't help thinking of with Straight Story is that it is weird or interesting at the very least to watch a movie that is by and large an expression of a sort of rural nostalgia mm-hmm. in the Trump era in which like rural nostalgia yeah. has become a much more sort of dangerous, dangerous thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then again, I don't know. Like you don't get a sense in this film like that it's hardcore right politics well but... no no i'm not suggesting that but i'm su- su- suggesting that they're both rooted in the same like locus of this sort of nostalgia for like the simpler truer realer america sure. okay um which we've seen this now spin out of control really over the last 12 months true um okay. and that just it's hard to, you have to see through that then when you watch this movie now i think yeah oh i see what you're saying i didn't get it at first because i thought we we're talking about us town <laughs> yeah um, slow moving pieces there um no that's no that's that's valid too um but yeah your your ire for this film is just utterly this throws me a can i use an early modern word oh, a yeah. gog oh that's a good one <laughs> i'm i'm a gog right now a lack a lack <laughs> i also have to say too that i and this is explaining probably why i have such a weird position or reaction to this is that i also just typically and consistently revolt against anything that seems to me to like smack of nostalgia okay i don't 
You hate the past. I don't relate to it. <laughs> you hate I just, everything. I guess I don't know that I've ever really... F- Maybe I'm revealing too much. Like, I don't know that I've ever really felt nostalgic for anything. Like, it's also oh. something I just fundamentally don't get. Yeah. Like, I this am is maybe... to, like the most nostalgic person in the world um, for eras that, like, obviously he didn't exist in, right? Where he's just like, in 1880, and he doesn't have a country accent. Actually, I know, it's like, that didn't sound like Ryan at that's all. That's my Ryan voice, though, in 1880. Actually, you could probably do a much better impression because, like, you both have, like, very low voices, you yeah. know? So, like, Ryan I, might be even deeper than yours where he's like, yeah. in 18... No, I can't do it. <laughs> in 18... I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'm... I'm surrounded by nostalgia. Yeah, I like moving. I mean, I guess I'm a restless person in general, but I like change a lot and I mm-hmm. like moving forward. And I mean, I also, I don't know. This is, I don't know if this is weird to say, but like, I didn't particularly like really enjoy childhood. I remember being <laughs> like just eager to, to be older and to move away. And I don't know. You know, I can't that... wait until you're an old man. I want to know you. Can we still be friends then? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, we'll try. <laughs> Though you like change, so you'll just be like, nah. No, I don't done. cast aside. Um, but <laughs> You'll be like, you're too much part of my past. Um, no, but I just think, like, when I think about myself, I am happiest with the sort of formative developments in myself that were results of just continually forcing myself to change or move or yeah. try new things. Mm-hmm. I think that's been that's made me a a person I like more, sure, you know, and I so that. I don't understand this impulse to cling to like a specific time or moment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I definitely have friends um, from back at home who like still talk about like high school, oh, and yeah. I just like like my funny stories are from high school and college. Sure, but oh, yeah, I'm not like. Like, oh, I wish I was still in high school. I wish I was at that homecoming game. You know, that Uh, drives me nuts. Did you have a period, like, in your 20s, too, where there were friends I had from, like, high school or high school jobs that I would still see, like, in the summer? Mm -hmm. And by the time we graduated college, I don't know, I was at a different place in my life, and they weren't, but then they still wanted to hang out. Oh, and then you, awkward. Yeah, because it's like, I don't want to just keep, yeah rehashing these same stories over and over every time oh definitely and you're not interested in what i've been doing since then and i don't know what to ask you anymore so yeah well in my hometown you know a lot of people stayed and so it's just like a continuation yeah, of right. the drama dynamics that oh, i was like no passed longer... down yeah, yeah. <laughs> i am no longer a part of and so like i don't get it when i go home and i'm like talking to you know like a second cousin who's married like a girl that I knew in high school, but I don't get, like, why they're fighting because, like, I know them from 10 years ago. Does that make right. sense? Like, yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. So, anyways. So, yeah, nostalgia. It's a fraught topic. <laughs> <laughs> We've discovered, yeah. We're solving so many problems, though, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. We fixed, like, how many chairs you can hold um, when, like, you're waiting for, or when, <laughs> oh yeah yeah you can reserve yeah, yeah. um how many pillows are acceptable pillows in a bed did i tell you oh i sent you a picture i should put this on show notes is that after we re- we recorded that episode maybe a week or two later i drove up to new jersey and stayed at my <laughs> sister's house and the bed she had made for me had like eight pillows did on she it do that on purpose? no she had no idea it's yes. <laughs> like what is this well um uh, i i sent you a picture of one of I sent you a picture of my nap bed, mm-hmm. but I actually took pillows off <laughs> you so got, that there were exactly your sl- your seven. Your sleeping bed and your nap bed. <laughs> I do. I have a nap bed that's just for naps. <laughs> so why don't we just break down the movie a little bit? So the primary characters are Richard Farnsworth's 
I am having such Farnsworth. a hard time. Farnsworth, yeah. Richard Farnsworth's Alvin. Alvin Strait. Strait. And his yep, daughter, yep. Rose, played by Sissy Spacek. Yep, yep. Oh, do you hear it? Do you hear my belly? No. Oh, it was pretty loud. Oh. Like, shook my whole body. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, they they live a sort of secluded life. Um, I I love Sissy Spacek. That, uh, she totally won me over during that supermarket checkout scene when oh, she was no. buying... What was the food called that she was buying for It's like for some sort of meat, like a wiener It's dog. like a bologna sort of... Yeah. Hot dog. <laughs> Hot dog. <laughs> Yeah, wieners. I think she's getting, like, bratwurst. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but she's getting a ton of them because that's what her dad eats on his trip, right? Yeah. Um, And uh, the clerk says, like... Oh, uh, you're a party? Oh, yeah, having a party. And then she doesn't get that it looks like she's having the party and she thinks that the clerk is having the party and it's it's a really cute exchange. Yeah, so, but it's, like, a really cool sequence, like how it develops because it starts with this exchange where they're talking past each other and you're trying it seems as though they're characterizing rose as someone who fundamentally can't connect with other people yeah she's like inhibited in some way but then it ends on this great moment of connection where they just sort of stop that confusing conversation and just both agree that they hate bratwurst yeah and it's just like it's perfect it's so good yeah maybe we'll have that moment at the end of this episode where we're like no there's still time who knows (laughs) nostalgia sucks nostalgia's great (laughs) um (laughs) and then we also then have a a corresponding scene of Alvin buying a, gra- a grabber from... <laughs> this is my favorite yeah. scene in the entire movie because the the guy who seems... the So the cashier guy, who's obviously Alvin's friend, mm-hmm. seems the most Midwestern out of the entire yeah. cast. And he's like, oh, geez, Alvin. Oh, yeah. geez. He has two grabbers. So grabbers are those things that yeah, yeah. are like a stick with a little... You've you got a like, clamp on one side. When yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I have three grabbers. Did you know that? <laughs> you got that guy beat. <laughs> I actually have three. Um, but yeah, he's like, oh, geez, Alvin. Oh, oh, this is a nice grabber. <laughs> you know? That's my Midwestern impression. Yeah, he doesn't want to give it up. Oh, geez. And yeah. he finally decides to sell it. And then, what does he say? I wrote it down. Oh, he goes, what do you need that grabber for, Alvin? <laughs> yeah. And Alvin goes. You're a nosy son of a bitch? Is that what he says? No, he says, for grabbing. Oh, <laughs> You're right. You're that's right. like your much more hostile take on this film. Well, in another moment, that same yeah. guy, because that's the the like his friend who, uh, just like keeps being like, "Where are you going?" Where yeah, are you yeah. Going? And he's like, "You're a nosy son of a gun, aren't you?" Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is all to say they're buying supplies so that he can ride his tractor out to go see his brother who's had a stroke, as we've mm-hmm. said, played by Harry right. Dean Stanton. But we don't see him till like the final frame. Yeah, of the he's film. yeah, he's hardly in the film at all. But um, there's this one beautiful scene. Also, again, a scene I, I really liked um, between Alvin and Rose when they're just outside and she's not sure she understands why he's doing it. And they're talking about the stars and yeah. the sort of vastness of the world. And it felt like this the most Lynchian scene in it, right? Like, there's a Sandy's dream kind of quality to it. Yeah, and um, it's clear that Rose and Alvin have a really strong father-daughter connection that's really beautiful. I drive it all more to another state. Rosie, I, I've got to go see Lyle. And I, I've got to make this trip on my own. I know you understand. I guess so.
Look up at the sky, Rosie. The sky is sure full of stars tonight. Can I ask too, what is Rose's disability? Because it's unclear to me if it's a speech impediment or if it's like a mental disability of some sort. Like they're very yeah. unclear about it. Well, he says at one point that people think she's slow. Right. But she's sharp as a tack. She has this mind for mathematics and facts and organization. So I interpreted it, but she does also have a speech impediment impediment or just kind of this inhibition yeah i interpret it as like she's um maybe autistic like okay. she's clearly brilliant in some areas but because of you know all the stigmas attached to certain frames of thinking this is really sad part of the story oh yeah she has had her children taken away from her by the state right so, yeah so when a babysitter's watching the kids she's nowhere near this yeah a fire breaks out she gets blamed anyway. Right, right. Yeah, that was that. heartbreaking. But, okay, this was a question I had as well. So, a separate objection to mm -hmm. the film is, it was odd to me that Sissy Spacek was in so little of it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, by the end, I thought, well, maybe it must be because it was based on a true story, and so they felt like they had to keep the focus on this guy. But she was a really compelling character in her own right. Yeah. And I thought... You got Sissy Spacek. Like, right, you're yeah. Sissy, like she's in maybe five minutes of the movie. And True. it's Richard Farnsworth. It's Alvin who is then given the dialogue or the, the, the lines telling her story when she's not even present. And that just felt strange to me. Yeah, yeah, it did. Like, but... why not? I wanted more time. Maybe I just wanted the movie to be more about her than yeah. Alvin even. But, but again, lack you of can't sense, always get what you want. You got to go back to it has to capture the tediousness of the journey itself mm -hmm. to account for the we don't apology. get to be distracted by, by other characters lovely character yeah yeah i think that's right so <sighs> alas no not a ton of sissy spacek but then we move on to alvin's <laughs> can i say one more thing by the way oh yeah sure so alvin's first we, we're going to just Go past this really quickly. He takes on the tractor. Tractor dies. Has to take yes. a bus back home. Start over. With a bunch but of old ladies. Who, like, worship him? It's oh, really yeah. weird. Like, they all have the hots they for him. Randy. Like, yeah. they're, like, reaching out and, like, groping him <laughs> as he walks by. And I was like, what am I watching? Um, it's about to get Lynchian. One, one but, old lady is like, my, yeah. my Edward loved his riding mower, too. You know, yeah. or something. It's so cute. It's the cutest part. But on that first road trip... I, he passes a woman who we only see from behind and i thought it was sissy spacek because they had this she had the same haircut <laughs> and i was like sissy like what are you doing out here and then i wrote oh no are all the women gonna have the same haircut in this movie and then again the woman who hits the deer i briefly thought she kind of was like sissy her. spacek yeah. just playing a different character right and again i was like what's sissy doing out here <laughs> it was disorienting <laughs> There's this great scene also with that first aborted trip where he goes into the backyard and just like shoots his tractor out of frustration with <laughs> yeah, a gun. It blows up. Um, yeah. And Dorothy, we get Dorothy again for just a brief second. She's like, what's your dad doing with that gun? And then he like shoots the shit out of his tractor. Um, he gets a new tractor, gets his uh, trailer slash mobile home. 
all set up. He's ready to go, and he starts on this journey. And I also wrote, too, when he blows up the tractor, I wrote, oh, good. I'm so happy with this turn of events. <laughs> and then the next scene no. is him just buying another one, and I wrote, like, what the fuck? <laughs> Just come on. It's big head. Again, like that poor guy, um, Everett McGill, always mm-hmm. get, gets cast as like this mechanic dude. Yeah. Um, so big head. What if he had like multiple PhDs in real life? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Do you know that Shaquille O'Neal got a PhD? What? Like honorary? No. Oh. A real one. When did he have the time? I don't know, but Shaq has a PhD in like either math or psychology in or just something. math <laughs> like broadly know. there are math phds <laughs> i thought it was in like specific kinds of math no you could get like a math oh all right all right so like in <laughs> science <laughs> <laughs> um anyways so right uh so he goes out on his trip after getting a new tractor with everett mcgill and um the first person that he meets is this young pregnant girl this teenager who's running away from home and so what did you hate about this All right. season? Oh, I have you notes. You have a face. You have a face. So she comes up to the campfire and also because I'm like 12, I laugh when she's like, what you got there? And he's like, wieners. Yeah, <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I was like, is that inappropriate I was to like, say Ha-ha. to a young girl? But, um, <laughs> got some wieners over here. She initially objects and then she like accepts and she's, we sit there in silence as she roasts it to readiness over the fire and mm-hmm. eats it. So we sit there for Are you counting 40 this? seconds of silence and then there's a, a one line exchange and then another full minute of silence. <laughs> and I was just sitting there like, why are we still here? Like what is, also did you find this film to be oddly edited? Along these lines, there were a few moments where that just like ended really abruptly, and yeah, and then this one that never ended didn't end, and we don't know why. Wait, this one? Oh, the scene itself didn't end. Yeah, yeah, because I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I also, tried to. I also wrote this from the scene when they're talking about uh, Wisconsin. She goes cheddarheads, and he <laughs> and he goes, "Aren't those the dumbest things you've ever seen someone stick on their heads?" And I wrote, "He says as he dons an oversized cowboy hat." <laughs> Okay, but it's that's different in quality from the cheesehead things. Also, they're like, oh, Wisconsin, a party state. Like they yeah, yeah. a few times, and I was, I didn't know that was the rumor. Is that true? Is I Wisconsin, have no idea. Like, crazy it's partiers. News to me. Huh. Anyways, so um, but but you have to admit, like he does. This is kind of the first time he really, well, besides his interactions with Rose, impart knowledge. Like he imparts yeah, knowledge right. to this young girl who's pregnant and running away. With the, like, cool stick analogy. I thought that was a cool little moment where he's like, you know, if you have one stick, it breaks. But if you have a bundle, you can't break it. And that's family. And if you've got a grabber, you can get lots of sticks. You can pick up a hell of a ton of sticks. When he was using the grabbers to pick up sticks, I was like, please, God, let him find an ear. Like, (laughs) let this movie begin. (laughs) No ears, just sticks. So I do have a, a genuine question. So the next scene, or thereabouts, he's driving... And he sees this thunderstorm approaching. Mm-hmm. And then on this utterly just vast and empty landscape, suddenly there is this sort of structure with an opening or covering that's the exact size of his tractor and he pulls into. Mm. And I just wondered, and I'm like, was this, was there, is this just convenient and a weird coincidence? Or is this sort of like a Lynchian sort of moment of providence? And then, and oh. then I started wondering, you know, where is the sort of ideas of 
goodness or evil or you know, religiosity or spirituality in this film because the other films they're always so apparent and I was trying to think more about that in this but I don't think there are really that many traces of just like a kind of moral sentiment or like because even this is this is this something about like is that a protection like right is that like yeah. that he happens to be have that find that covering during at the same moment that there's a thunderstorm and I don't know um because otherwise it's a it's a just crazy coincidence yeah, true like we see that landscape there's nothing else yeah like is it that you know there are both people and objects in the midwestern landscape who are furthering alvin's trip in a yeah that his trip is like divine cosmically way. sanctioned or yeah. something yeah i don't know i mean we do get that interaction with the priest later yeah. on and you know alvin has admitted also that he no longer drinks and he's no longer mean because a preacher intervened in his life and it seems like you know it seems like he's um kind of adopted a moral code that makes him which tracks um to impart that knowledge right like the post-war vet finding god Mm -hmm. and industry job yeah like that all that makes sense (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's that's straight up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> get it yeah. um, mm. <laughs> so I, I think it's there it's just obviously we don't have then except for you know slight hints of it the the clear stark evil underbelly that's usually in a Lynch film really. yeah no exactly there's none of that I mean, there's I mean, some there's of, like, with discussion of the war, like... There's, yeah. Oh, yeah, I shouldn't say there's none of that at all. That he's haunted, we yeah. find out. Yeah, he is haunted by that. And, of course, by carrying this burden alone without Lyle for so long, too. Yeah, actually, we can jump a little bit ahead, because I have no patience to discuss the scene when the brakes stop working. <laughs> oh, but can like, we really quickly discuss oh, the The, the brakes on your tractors... Tractor isn't working, the one that you decided to drive, like, cross-country. Um, yeah, let's talk about the cyclist. Well, I just... There's a scene where he's hanging out with all these, like, young cyclists. Yeah. And they're, like, you know, around a campfire throwing a football. It's, like, too American. Yeah. You know, it's, like, just Well, there's grossly... so much Americana. It made me think of the... Um, uh, the French according to Americans or whatever that oh, short film the, was yeah, and like we re- and Blue Velvet right where right. it's just like oh David Lynch loves the United <laughs> States but there's like you know these like young dudes and they're like hey Alvin what's the worst part about growing old oh yeah and he's that like, got me he's like remembering when you were young and you're like oh that we're all going to die I know that really does terrify me oh yeah I rest I mean I was like why bring this up right now I'm trying to get through this movie <laughs> We're about to. We're both like all my life choices. I know that's it's like oh. it's weighing heavily on me. Oh man, yeah. And um, I'm gonna just be totally nostalgic during my 30th birthday, and you're gonna be like, <laughs> "What next?" Exactly. Like I've got to make this life count. Also, this is around the time we learn that he's been on the road five weeks. Yeah. I was feeling very confident this was day three when I watched. <laughs> it was like, not since Dune has the, like, communication of time passing, like, Yeah, failed. and you know he's gotta be stanky at this point. Oh, I didn't like, think about that. He's not going inside, and let's think about some of the practicalities of this. He is definitely pooping on the side of the road. He's not going into bathrooms. Oh, yeah, you're bringing up a lot I haven't yeah, ever thought about. Yeah, there's a lot of real things about traveling that are gross. I love, though, so the, we already mentioned the lady who hits the deer, and then you cut to him, like, frying the deer. Yeah, over, or, and like, then those fake it. deer props, like, watching him. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, he's like in a yard or something. Yeah, where they just have decorative deer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we used to have decorative deer like that. Do they have some purpose or are they purely decoration? They're purely decorative, okay. but our friends, our best friends would sneak over at night and then put them in compromising positions. <laughs> and so like almost every day for a solid year, we'd wake up to very lewd deer. It was lovely. That's awesome. Um. So we can jump ahead to a shot soon after where he's sitting in someone's backyard after he's waiting to get his tractor repaired. Right. He's sitting in someone's backyard smoking cigars and putting them out on a bronze bull ashtray, which I wrote, this would look really nice in Katie's home. (laughs) You have to give me this. Because you talk about your father having a cabinet of curiosities, but you, you have... I'm developing yeah. one. I'm. I've definitely you followed that path. The weirdness. You followed that white spray painted line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely. Oh, actually, I'm so excited on my way back from Atlanta this weekend. I'm gonna go to a huge antique store. Oh, nice. Yes, I'm gonna find some cool junk. All right, look for that ashtray. All right. That ashtray belongs to. I know I've seen this actor before, but I just kept, um, like, thinking about him as like a Bobo J.K. Simmons. What are you talking about? You mean, right? Who's Bobo J.K. Simmons? Or like a poor man's J.K. Simmons. Who's J.K. Simmons? J.K. Simmons. He's in, um, um, what? The, well, he was in Juno, but what the, so f- like, oh, Whiplash, Whiplash. He just won the Oscar. You know what? who this is. He was for a acting s- or supporting for- actor. He, he's no. in everything. He's in those insurance commercials he's with the, the bow tie. Is he the dad? In what? In Juno? No? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the old man. Yeah. Okay. What's his name? J.K. Simmons. Just joking. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding, Simmons. <laughs> I, even, I even messed yep. up J.K. because I said joking. Just joking. J.J. J.J. Simmons. <laughs> okay, so J.K. Simmons, you're saying is in this movie or he's No, a no, there's like a guy who sort of looks like a poor man's J.K. Simmons. Oh, like a, a knockoff J.K. Simmons. Yeah, exactly. I did not get that, Sam. I'm sorry. That's but fine. But at least this time... I did not pretend that I got it. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, also, you said Bobo J.K. Simmons. Like, yeah. How could anyone follow that? Like, what's Bobo? Like, it's just like another way of saying like a poor man's, like a I've knockoff or imitation. Either. Bobo? Yeah. No. <laughs> I've never. I'm sorry. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Different worlds. That's different fine. strokes. I accept that. All right. Um, <laughs> but he walks out to give him an update on what the mechanic said, and he says, I talked to the Olsen twins. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, if the Olsen twins are playing these twin mechanics. <laughs> that would okay. make my day. Yeah. That would top the like Lynch cameos where you've got like yeah. Sting, Bowie, and then the Olsen, <laughs> the Olsen twins. twins. Oh, and twins. Billy Ray Cyrus <laughs> yeah. and Mahalo Drive. Okay. And there was no Lynch cameo. I was sort of wondering if he'd show up somewhere. Yeah, no, there's no Lynch, Lynchy poo in this one. So we can jump ahead though, because you brought this up already. There's a scene in which he's having a long conversation with a guy at the bar mm-hmm. and he's telling him about his war experiences and he has he's been living with this lie for decades now. Yeah. He accidentally killed one of his own and nice. everyone he is the only person who knows he did that. Everyone yeah. else thinks that he was shot down by enemy fire. Right. We've broken out of the hedgerows. We were making a run across the open and we come upon a woods. We started drawing fire. I took my usual position and I saw something moving real slow like. 
I waited 10 minutes, it moved again, and I shot. The movement stopped. The next day we found Cotts, headshot. He'd been working his way back toward our lines. Everyone in the unit thought a German sniper had taken him. Everyone, all these years, everyone but me. Yeah, that's some heavy shit right that there. That is really heavy, but I want to sort of puzzle this out for a minute, if that's cool with you. I don't know if I exactly have the words, but I want to think more about this. Because mm -hmm. it seems to me to be like almost an explanation as to why this film is as it is, right? That it's not stylized at all like a Lynch film. It's not right. embellished. It's not weird at all. It's, I mean, like the title, wholly straightforward. Yeah. As though like these characters merit the sort of respect of directness or something. Yeah. And I just don't know what to do with that. Because does that then imply that Lynch's other stylized works are somehow unserious? Mm. Or that like his movies about like, people growing up in the suburbs or in contemporary times like don't didn't have as real or off or crazy uh you know like yeah. what do you do with all that i don't know i don't have a response to that i know i read that when so in this particular scene the way that they filmed it um they had the actors just sit there while they were setting up um, mm -hmm. like different cameras and yeah. stuff and just like they were drinking coffee or something um but no rehearsal whatsoever for the scene oh wow um so this came like and normally lynch actually or not normally but often he will play music um to have actors get a feel of a scene um he does this um especially in blue velvet but also in um, twin peaks he does this a lot um for this film he didn't do that at all so especially for this scene if you can kind of imagine, there's like some background noise, but really it is these two aged actors sitting yeah. there before we get started about to get into this really, really dark narrative. Yeah. So the way that he sets that up, or I think just as a director, I thought it was really successful. Yeah. That, like, it does feel very authentic in that scene, right? There's not... So it's authentic to me because... Yeah. Sorry, I'm like... No, no, go ahead. Uh, running off it... Um, because, you know, for example, they're not hugging and crying. You know what I mean? There's not this, like, over-sentimental outpouring. It's just, like, a very <sighs> direct narrative of what happened. And instead of responding... So, you know, the first old guy says what was horrible about his experience. Yeah. Alvin doesn't say, like, oh, man, I'm so sorry, I feel you, blah, blah, blah. Like, he doesn't have all that, like background noise that we usually add to empathizing with someone he just launches into his horrible story you're looking yes. at me like <laughs> but you, you gotta make it more clear for me like why that's important it's important because it's because seems... none of his work none of lynch's films are are like maudlin in that way though yeah I don't know where I was going with that. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. I'm sorry. I'm messed but up. But as you're talking, though, like, and another irony that sort of comes to me is that he's being haunted, and he even says that he was drinking so much because 
he came back to America and found all that evil from France was now here. Yeah. And you're like, this is the perfect thesis statement for a David Lynch film. Like, yeah. why isn't Richard Farnsworth getting his own um, ear in the field? Like, this is exactly mm-hmm. like a story he should have that fits like so thematically with Lynch that it's also then further curious to me that right. Lynch resists all of these like other impulses that he has and yeah. I can't I can't add it all up. I can't either, dude. I don't know. Like So I'm, well I mean maybe we'll food blame for it on thought Disney. it's Disney. <laughs> Again. Actually I we did read something weeks Disney. ago that um this was a much longer film and Disney and it had darker elements and Disney cut them out because um, they're like guys we're Disney. You dicks. So we sh- I should look that up again. Okay. But right. <laughs> I have to ask you something. Yeah. Cuz he fixes and we'll put this on show notes. Show notes. Show, show notes. notes. <laughs> I thought you said show nights. I was like show notes. <laughs> show nuts. Those are the donuts we eat while we're recording. Um, <laughs> Next time, dude. That's a great idea. Let's as I'm saying it. <laughs> um, so he fixes his tractor, gets it fixed, I should say, and hits the road, and he passes what appears to be a giant corn cob. <laughs> yeah. Is that what that is? Or is that a log? I rewound it multiple times. Dude, I that is tell. a corn cob. <laughs> It's totally a corn cob. <laughs> I was like, why is there unexplained a giant corn cob <laughs> driving by? Because they're in the Midwest. <laughs> because one travels afar to see shit like that. I was like, one man drives a tractor, another carries a corn cob. <laughs> so we have that aforementioned scene with the priest. And then finally, we're um, arriving towards the end. And his truck breaks down we get a sense that he's getting closer to his brother's home but we still Mm -hmm. know where he is in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. his tractor breaks down and i wrote if this movie is leading towards him dying alone in the middle of nowhere (laughs) then all is forgiven because then i get this movie no but instead why don't you tell us how it ends no so he makes (laughs) no no. (laughs) i'm like mrs doubtfire right now um he made like you know it breaks down, but then he makes it to his brother's house, Lyle's house, which is really run down. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, kind of hobbles up to um, to the front yard, and he's like, "Lyle!" And there's silence for mm-hmm. you know good thirty seconds or so. So you know, like you were saying, yeah. it's like, "Oh shit, he's dead!" It's you know, like too late. The Olsen twins late. took too long. <laughs> Those motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> So, but then you hear him shout, like, Alvin or something, you know, like in the chipmunks, of course. Um, And they are reunited. And they sit down quietly. There's not this outpouring. And what's their exchange again? I didn't write it down. Well, he says, like, sit down, Alvin. Or he says, like, did you, he he says, like, did you drive that thing all the way here just to see me? Just to see me. That's it. Yeah. and Alvin's like, yeah, sure did. And then they sit down on the porch. Fade to black. Fiend. It's beautiful. It just like encapsulates everything that this story had to achieve. And in my opinion, did achieve. In yeah. Sam's opinion, <laughs> not I mean, so much. It's funny. We're talking about it. And the way you are talking about it and how you reacted to it, it's making me want to like it more, appreciate it more. But mm-hmm. I, I really just... did not like this at all fair enough so okay did you find then online people who are echoing your disgruntlement (laughs) no i found (gasps) oh yeah i found one okay but by and large people love this movie i will read you the one hilarious negative review (laughs) i found um 
I'm not even going to read you the content. I'm just going to read you the title. Sure. This is by Sweet BMX Chick 04. She writes, she titles her review, Man Rides Mower Cross Country in Real Time. Oops, just told the story. (laughs) (laughs) This is awesome. Sick burn, Mm -hmm. yeah. But so what you found, and I think this is, you know, what I have also found in my own research, which was not as much as yours, that for the most part, people enjoy this film, right? Yeah, so um, Jazzerbini. Jazzerbini. Yeah, writing from Brazil. I'm not going to read this whole thing because it's long, but he says, this is a plug, it is impossible not to be infected by the admirable spirit Ew. of Alvin. I know. Don't don't infect us. Oh. Okay. And then well, do you want to read one? Yeah. yeah. Dustin Cohen, the... This one. The most relaxing film I've ever seen. Clearly, he's never seen porn. Um, <laughs> Do you think there's a straight story porn in the same way there's Dune porn? I don't know. Well, we'll I mean, there are a lot of possibilities that. for that bus scene. <laughs> Old people, don't do it. Okay. Keep um, your hands to yourself. Keep your hands. Um, oh, did you ever, when you were on a bus trip in, like, high school, did you ever have the bus driver go, hand check, and you'd all have to go, like, yay, like this, so that you could prove that you weren't, like, giving a hand job to someone? But it's pretty easy to, like, yeah, I, pause. just then return to the hand job after. Yeah, they can't have, be effective. Well, we still had that, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we just still no, had, we like, didn't do hand, hand checks. Check. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, we'd all go back to giving the handies. Mm-hmm. Not me, I was... I was proper. Sure. <laughs> but everyone else. <laughs> All the You're the one percent. I forgot. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, sorry. So the <laughs> re- most relaxing film I've ever seen. And this is by who? Dustin Cohen. Okay. I must say that I found the straight story to be dreamlike. I saw it in a theater with barely anyone else, and I felt really bad. This is leading up to him watching a, a porno. It's a 10-star <laughs> review. <laughs> we live in a culture where shoot-em-ups or sex-based teen flicks are the only movies that draw a crowd, and it's really sad. The straight story tells the tale of a man who drives through the United States on a tractor. He does this so that he can meet his brother, who is sick, without the use of violence or sex or any of the usual gimmicks that Hollywood throws at us. Um, oh, there's a comma. David Lynch. Yes, that David Lynch, Lost Highway, has created a masterpiece. All I can say is rent this, settle down, and enjoy. Another thing, Richard Farnsworth should have won an Oscar. He was amazing. So, yeah, I would yeah. agree with most of that. David Lynch did not use sex this time. I know. Yeah, except for that hint at the in the, the bus scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there was a promise of something there. Oh, yeah. Um, I also love that they wrote, all I can say is rented. I'm not going to say buy it, but (laughs) solid solid rental. And enjoy. And then we're not going to touch on a conspiracy theory so much as circle one this time. We're circling one. I don't know what that means. Well, I'll explain. So Longhorn Film Fan writes, I'll be rewatching it later today. That is the straight story. I read this article the other day and it really got me thinking, maybe straight story really isn't so straight. And from here, he links out to an article um, from Lip Magazine that's no longer on the internet. Oh, no. And so I can't read it. But apparently, I, I surmise from what I've read that it is a sort of like symbolic or conspiratorial reading of the film and like sort of secret coded messages <gasps> in it. We have to find this. I tried. And then so he continues. I never bothered to seriously ask, why does Alvin go on the journey? 
<laughs> I know. And I was like, we know. Uh, you didn't have to ask. Pretty obvious. And why does he refuse help? You've answered this for us. Yeah. I'm going to rewatch it and see if some of the usual Lynch hints are really there. Hmm. So. Okay. Then, you know, <laughs> Thunder C-word, right? <laughs> Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Thunder C-word. We're going to notice that, like, women really get short shrift on this forum. Yeah, okay. Thunder, oh. <laughs> Thunder C- I'm just setting it up, and then we'll get to a dialogue where we can go back and forth. Okay, sorry. No, you're fine. Thunder C-word writes, to be really honest, I don't think there's that much to the straight story. <laughs> it's... And the the article she's talking about here is an impressive, well-written, and fun read, but also overanalyzing and a wee <laughs> bit far-fetched. I think this guy is just too eager to find depth and complexity in it just because it's directed by David Lynch. Yeah. yeah. Which I think that's fair. Yeah, I totally think um, that's fair. Thunder C-Word is ignored. <laughs> and As all of these other commenters um, <laughs> go on with their um, investigation into the film. Then we're going to get to a back and forth or a tete-a-tete between uh, Gypsy Q50 and Dr. McSpank. I want to be Dr. McSpank. Oh, you want to change it up? Are we Are we exchanging them? Oh, I just figured it would be like you take the woman's role, I take no, the guy's. No, I want to be Dr. Right. McSpank, you. Gypsy writes, now we're just getting silly and overanalyzing this movie. Okay, so an old codger will not accept any help in making the long journey to see his dying brother. He could have been a little less stubborn and a bit smarter by spending his money on an alternate means of transportation. All right, Dr. McSpank says, I'm inclined to agree with those who think there's more to this straight story than meets the eye. I'm about to read that article posted earlier, never found a proper analysis of the film before, so this should be interesting, and I've little doubt that it will unearth some of the finer points of this Lynch's least obviously uh, Lynchian film. Just like a ton of trust in this article yeah. he has yet to read. <laughs> oh, it goes on, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, so it continues here. Haven't read it yet. <laughs> Still no. <laughs> <laughs> Still in the same post. I, this is... <laughs> Okay, but consider the scene in which a woman kills a deer with her car. I won't disclose details here, but by the way, that's 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 the scene. it. That's yeah, scene. Um, but for those of um, who've seen the film, how would you explain it? What's its narrative purpose? Can it really be described as a quote straight scene delivered in a realistic fashion? Consider, too, when the first attempt at the voyage goes awry, the lawnmower dies, why do the old men in the barber shop, I think, look out on his return with such mournful sadness? Is it because they think he's crazy? Or is there something else going on here? Time to go read that article. <laughs> Man, such a lead-in for this. And then exactly an hour passes, and Dr. McSpank returns. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's official. That article is brilliant. I've added it to my favorites list and intend to pass it around to any and all who are interested in or have seen this film. He hits the point about the do- the deer dead on um, repeatedly. repeatedly, acknowledging the connection between number of deer and the number of estranged children, the antler totems, the John Deere, etc., and fleshes out a wonderfully complete picture of the film. This is a great analysis. So, side note here, I guess yeah. this article is like a like a doing a number analysis and this numerical significance of things. Okay. I'm confused why some would term this overanalyzing. Clearly referring to Gypsy. (laughs) Yeah. 
gypsy, that bitch. The article is straightforward, clear, unpretentious, and generally humble. Although he draws many conclusions, some would no doubt say assumptions, he's always sure to point out the fact that he is merely taking his best guess by extrapolating on what's present in the film. Also, he spends a great deal of time discussing ambiguity and uncertainty in Lynch's filmography, this film included, so it would seem strange to peg him for being overeager in his analysis. Do I keep going? Um, maybe just this next paragraph. Sure. He tackles straight story from an, um, wait, how do you say Oh, auteurist. Auteurist, sorry. It's like at an angle. So <laughs> yeah, <I'm> yeah. Like, <laughs> where does that auteurist perspective? Um, con- constantly referring to Lynch's other films and pointing out connections. But with a filmmaker like Lynch and with some of the undeniably potent evidence the author reveals, I don't think this should be considered a flaw. This is film criticism at its best, of sure, this article that we yeah. can't access. And the only dissatisfying thing about the article is that it forces us to abandon our preconceived notions of rosy, good nature, sentimentalism. The film, This film is much deeper and even more tragic and moving than that. Oh, man. Dr. Yeah. Dr. McSpeck. He's a man of many words. Many um, words. I'm going to read this article. I'm going to read it. Yep. Wait, have read it, have love read it, it. <laughs> loved it. <laughs> Gonna review it. Um, then Gypsy comes back and says, "God, this is all caps. Don't you people know the meaning of straight? It implies cut and dried, <laughs> to the point. You know, <laughs> stop overanalyzing the quote symbols. John Deere, blah blah blah. Totem, blah. Number of blah blah blah. Quit it already <laughs> with that shit." It was a good movie about an old man trying to make amends to his bro and going to any means to achieve that before either of them kicked the bucket. End of story. <laughs> and then Dr. McSpank goes... And this line and then this paragraph. That was truly an adamant reply. Thank you for bludgeoning us with your opinion. If you don't think that... If you don't think the film is improved by this widely... Wildly, sorry, over-analytical interpretation, then you go right ahead and ignore it. But please, don't degrade yourself and the rest of us by thrusting your fascist approach to cinema appreciation down our throats. Take part in the debate or keep your opinions to yourself. Dr. McSpank, busting it out. Drops the mic. Drops the mic. It also sort of makes me laugh because... It's precisely not keeping your opinions to yourself that is debating. So he sort of presents her with, like, an impossible choice. Oh, yeah. But... And, I mean, it's all circling around this article that obviously is presenting crazy similitudes. Of, like, oh, let's read all the symbols because we stopped our, like, literary hermeneutic training in high school. Yeah, and just, that's tiresome. I know. Come on, folk. I I do hope we re-encounter... Dr. McSpank at some point. Oh, I'm sure we will. I mean, I'm going to look up the straight story porno and it's going to be Dr. McSpank. I mean, yeah, the name is there. So, I mean, that wraps up straight story. We have one more week of Lynch, Mulholland Drive. And then you're going to give us maybe like a quick rundown of Inland Empire, right? Yeah, just a brief one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, So, yeah, but before we depart, um, what are you obsessed with, Sam? All right. So I had um, a really good recommendation but then I watched Straight Story, and I was thinking more about Sissy Spacek, and so instead I'm going to table the one I had for me for next week sure. and recommend uh, the movie Three Women. Three Women. It's I've an, seen this. Um, it's a, one of my favorite Robert Altman films. It's Sissy Spacek and Shelley Duvall, and I forget the name of the third yes. actress, um, but it's 
awesome and dreamy and weird. It's one of Sissy Spacek's first roles. What where is it's it about? about? Oh, sorry. <laughs> what is it about? Um, it is about really these the friendship between these two women, Sissy Spacek and Shelley Duvall. And it's not even friendships weird. They're both. They become roommates at the same job in this lonely town where nothing's really doing. And you watch as, and they're both strange. It seems as though Sissy Spacek's really strange and Shelley Duvall's normal. But as you get to know her character, you guys know they're both kind of strange and lonely. And their personalities begin to sort of merge and ebb and collapse on each other. And Mm -hmm. then by the end, this third woman who sort of helps to manage the hotel or apartment they they live in um, also collapses in. And they have this weird sort of shared identity by the end. And it's fascinating. And the acting's really good. Like Shelley Duvall in that movie gives like one of my favorite performances probably in like American films. When was this filmed? I I just, I was plugging it. I was like, I really wish I'd looked that up. <laughs> I want to say sixties. Oh wow! Okay, let me so that's see. Quite old. I can look it up right now. I just typed three women, so I don't know what's going to come <laughs> up when I Google that. Straight story. Um, the movie is in uh, nineteen seventy-seven. Okay, all right. Yeah, so go check it out. I think it's on Netflix actually. Uh, well, I mean, who knows when this episode will air. We're releasing our first four episodes. I think we're going to cause like a collapse in like the time continuum by saying this because you'll have listened to all of them. I hope. Um, we're going to get so confused Mm -hmm. uh, about like when episodes are coming out. You've now listened to a number of episodes, but you are meeting us at the historical moment in which we are just releasing those first four, which we're now filmed or recorded like almost two months ago. I know. <laughs> it's like we really need to get going on this. We've been, but we've learned a lot. We've. I think we've, we've grown. grown. And the sound yeah. recording's better. I think we're a little like. Except for the dogs in the background who yeah. keep whining. So. Sorry but if about you go that. back and listen to um, the sound quality of the first few episodes when we were, we were recording in the library. Oh, it was awful. They're really bad. Yeah, we've we've gotten better. We bought a mic. But if you're listening now, that means you've stuck with us. Yeah. And listen, can this be made better? hundred percent. Yeah. I read that the best thing to do is to sit in the closet when you what? record. Yeah. Because like the clothes and the small space absorb any like echo or dead air. And so, Oh. <laughs> so maybe when we start recording long distance, we'll each just be in a closet recording. No, I will tell you I'm in a closet <laughs> and I will be <laughs> like, mm, not, no, I might try. We'll see. What about you though? What do you want to recommend? Um, so this is kind of, I don't know. It feels like too trendy maybe because they're, doing the Laura Dern uh, Woody Harrelson movie, but I did read the um, graphic novel Wilson by Daniel oh, nice. Klaus. Um, and it's just delightful. It's just like so misanthropic and um, he's a dog lover. And the story, so it's brilliant because each page is kind of a contained story in of itself. It's, it has a title. So it's not like... Um, like you get just these little snapshots, right? But through them, there's this narrative that builds about him finding his, you know, long lost daughter and reconnecting with his wife, Pippi. Mm-hmm. And, um, he's, it's just hilarious because he's so negative and just kind of crass as a figure, but you yeah. love him anyways, because he's, you know, he's just a very human character. That's awesome. Yeah. Are you going to go see the movie? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, so yeah, that's my recommendation. Nice. So I think two solid recommendations. We're past the straight story. Good riddance. I'm going to go eat some food. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I guess we'll see you next week. This podcast is as always, or at least since last week, dedicated to the memory of Billy Zane. <laughs>
became obsessed. Gone too soon. Ah. Uh, see you next week. Why did you whisper that? Because it's like a somber moment. Oh, I see. <laughs>